1: welcome to what catholics believe i am james birch and with me tonight is father william jenkins of immaculate conception church in norwood ohio he uh, only says the traditional latin mass and belongs to the society of saint pius v welcome father thank you jim also with us tonight again is mr thomas condit a advocate for pro-life issues an attorney in the cincinnati area And we are very pleased to have him back on again with us tonight. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Jim. On our previous episode, we had gotten into some issues with both Mr. Condit and Father regarding uh, Kim Davis and some of the judicial issues that had surrounded uh, her incarceration and release. Some of these uh, issues are going to bring up much larger questions about the direction our uh, judiciary has Uh, taken in the last uh, several decades, maybe even longer than that, what that means for our governmental system. But before we get there, one of the final questions that we touched upon was whether or not Kim Davis should have resigned. And there's been a lot of press about that recently. And I think it would be good for us to start there again and uh, find out what both Father and Tom have to say about this issue. And Father, let's start um, with you. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, there's been some arguments out out there that it would have been better for both the uh, her position and even her position before God uh, that for her to just have resigned.
0: Well, Jim, there are those uh, actually Novus Ordo, modern Catholics who adhere to the modern Church, you know, who are claiming that uh, Kim Davis was doing no uh, no service to her faith in God. And certainly was really not being faithful to God by holding on to the office that she was refusing to fulfill. Even though the office, the duties of the office had changed dramatically, they said she should have simply acknowledged the fact that she wasn't going to fulfill the duties of the clerk of courts as those duties were now defined by the federal government. And she should have honorably resigned and gone her way. And, uh, the Novus Ordo, some of the Novus Ordo authorities who were claiming this, uh, some of the legal minds within the Novus Ordo, were appealing to the example of St. Thomas More, who, uh, as you know, resigned from the office of the, the Chancellor of England when he found that he could not uh, go along with the, the, the false marriage of Henry VIII to Anne Boleyn, and certainly could not make uh, swear the oath of supremacy that Henry was the supreme authority of the Church in England. You know? So, uh, because Thomas More could not in conscience accept that, uh, they say he resigned, and therefore that's exactly what Ken Davis should do. And uh, apart from all the other legal niceties and all of this, I would just say that uh, the Lord Chancellor of England at the time of Henry VIII served as Lord Chancellor of... Uh, at, at the, at the uh, behest of the king. He was chosen, named by the king. He served at the pleasure of the king. And uh, if we want to f- try to make a parallel example, that uh, as Thomas More resigned from an office he served, uh, he held at the good pleasure of the king, then if we want to make Obama the king, Barack Obama a king, we might say that uh, Kim Davis would serve as the clerk of courts of... Rowan County, Kentucky, at the good pleasure of King Barack Obama, and perhaps under those circumstances, it would have been right for her to resign from the office if she was not going to fill the office. As it is, though, these are the United States of America, and we don't have a king, at least uh, it's not provided for in the Constitution. Uh, De facto, we might, in fact, uh, be uh, someone who thinks he's the king uh, or the emperor, but he's not, and so... I think the argument uh, from the example, example of St. Thomas' War is not only false, I think it's dangerous. Uh, I think it's a delusion. I personally think Kim Davis was right in not residing. I don't think she uh, should have ceded to the liberals the right to change the law and to basically say there is no power and no authority over them, that they are supreme and... And everyone else is subject to them, but they are subject to no one. And I think that's the point of issue here.
1: And, Tom, what about even the legal issues um, at stake here? I mean, didn't uh, Kim Davis take an oath of office?
2: Yeah, can I, can I challenge Father's answer first? <laughs> Please do. <laughs>
1: Dangerous <laughs> ground.
2: <laughs> I was just going to say that King Anthony Kennedy might challenge King Barack Obama for the crown.
0: Well, uh, that, that's true, you know. Uh, if,
2: this was Kennedy's work, by and large, that imposed. The, uh, uh, well,
0: that's true. I, I tend to think, though, that we have the hydra here with many heads, okay. uh, but all going back to the same body. Right. Right. So, uh, right. point well taken.
2: Right, because so, I mean, Anthony Kennedy stands out for his work in these homosexual mm-hmm. rights cases. Mm-hmm. You know what? What occurred to me since our last, my last visit with you, was thinking about the criticisms that. Kim Davis um, had for uh, staying in office and refusing to, quote, do her job. Um, Two things. First of all, she is doing her job for the state of Kentucky. She's upholding the law of Kentucky. That's the oath she took. But the other thing that occurred to me politically, as usual, you know, the word hypocrisy kind of gets a little bit tired. I mean, it gets thrown around a lot. It's a good pejorative for political opponents to throw at each other. But sometimes the hypocrisy really just does just stand out in the political world We we, we have to endure. And there were two examples in the last three years, both, both cases that went to the U.S. Supreme Court where it was the pro-homosexual liberal office holders that referred, refused to do their jobs. And the first one was Proposition 8 out in California, which got to the U.S. Supreme Court, and um, that, that was the case where the people of California had amended their constitution with Proposition 8 to define marriage as between one man and one woman. And the homosexual lobby out there filed a suit in federal court to have that declared as unconstitutional. And the Attorney General, the Governor of California, and more importantly, the Attorney General of California, whose job it is to defend the laws of the state, they decided they were not gonna defend Proposition 8. And in fact, the curious thing about the case that got to the U.S. Supreme Court is that the the private parties, the private political actors that did all the work to get it on the statewide ballot, to campaign for it, the the blood and sweat that goes into those kinds of political efforts, they stepped in to fill the void and said, okay, if if the the government of the state of California is not going to... uh, do its job and defend the law that the people have voted to, or the the proposition, then we'll do it. They they tried to intervene to be named a party in the case to defend the law and it went all the way to the Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court ended up saying, sorry, you don't, you folks for whatever good work you did, you don't have standing, you don't have standing to take the position you've taken. They ruled against them saying, sorry, I guess nobody defends the law. The government won't, and you can't. And that was the result of that, that, that allowed the all that good work out in California to be basically flushed away.
0: And there was no question about them stepping down for, for failure to do their job. There were and no
2: liberal won't. criticisms of it, I can tell you. <laughs> At least none that I heard. Uh, the other one then was the challenge to the Federal uh, Defense of Marriage Act. That was the Windsor case, United States versus Windsor. And that was decided in 2013. And in that case, Barack Obama and his attorney general, Eric Holder, whose job it is to defend. Now, that wasn't a proposition or a ballot initiative. That was a law passed by Congress, signed by President Clinton. That was the law of the United States. It's Eric Holder's job, whatever political party it is, whatever whatever he believes, he's the attorney general. He defends the laws of the United States. Obama and Holder announced they weren't going to defend it. So they just stepped aside. There was conservative criticism of that, of course. He wasn't doing his job. But The same kind of people attacking Kim D- Davis and trying to drive her from office. Um, they had no criticism for Eric Holder. Mm-hmm. So the hypocrisy just drips. It just mm-hmm. drips from these people. Well, Tom, uh,
0: is it the job of the President of the United States to defend the borders of the United States <laughs> and to uphold the immigration laws of the United States of America? And if if it's necessary for those who don't do their job, and and absolutely refuse repeatedly to do their jobs to resign, would that be a liberal argument? Would the liberals be giving an argument saying that the president should resign because he's not doing his job as a president? I mean, does that apply here, do you think? To
2: me, it's... This could be a long show if we start talking Um, about all the dereliction of government. But, exactly right. 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 Another example. Just another example of the hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. so kim davis is in the crosshairs for no good reason Mm -hmm. but not only
1: that i mean when when she actually came into office and uh, she gave her oath it was under the constitution of the state of kentucky and that constitution had been recently amended uh, by the people and it didn't include some language about uh, marriage being between a man and a woman
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how—I don't know if that was a law that was passed or a constitutional amendment. But one way or the other, the law of Kentucky was that uh, marriage was defined as between one man and one woman. So there's no doubt Kim Davis was defending the law of Kentucky as she took an oath to do. Uh, And, of course, there was no amendment to the U.S. Constitution in that regard. Uh, There was just something that came down from Anthony Kennedy and the boys. Mm Mm-hmm. And in that um, that case, I, I have a and quote. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I have a quote by uh, Judge Bunning, uh, Judge David Bunning, uh, from the case. He is the um, Federal Circuit Judge, and this uh, will take us a little bit off of just Kim Davis because this quote to me um, is just jaw dropping um, when I when I read it. And he states that personal opinions, including my own, are not relevant today. The idea of natural law superseding this court's authority would be a dangerous precedent indeed. Now last I checked, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United States are based upon the idea that there is natural law. So for a judge, a federal judge of the United States of America to say that the idea of natural law cannot supersede this court's authority is mind-boggling.
0: The dangerous precedent, right? Yes. And he said that in the courtroom as he was about to send Kim Davis to jail. This is the judge who actually sent her off to jail, right? Yes. Summarily, yes. as long as he chose,
1: right? And neither side actually wanted that. Mm. Even 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 the opposing attorney said we didn't ask. We We're asking for that. To jail. No. Uh,
0: well, the story uh, that was told at the time was that uh, David Bunning uh, sent Kim J- Davis to jail was because he. Um, He felt that a fine would not be sufficient to compel her to comply with his wishes. And so he was going to find a penalty that was so draconian that she would be compelled to comply. That's scary, in a way. Um, But the fact that he would say something like that is an atrocity. Uh, It is not only (laughs) anti-American... and and attacks the very basis for all, I believe, the jurisprudence of the United States of America, the very existence, the justification for the formation of our country, right? Uh, For our country's independence. But it is an abomination for a Catholic, so-called, to say such a thing. Uh, To say that God, any idea of of God and, and nature and nature's God has any... Any reason or any right to interfere, and any authority over to supersede the judgments of that court, that human court is a theological atrocity which goes against all the teachings of Catholicism. David Bunning is a perfect product of the modernists of the
1: modern church. And uh, Tom, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Well, let, let me um, let me bring a legal angle in on 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 what Judge Bunning did, Um, just again so the viewers can understand. uh, You know, what what we're dealing with here, I believe, is contempt of court. He had ordered her to start issuing the gay marriage licenses and she wouldn't do it. So a violation of a court order creates contempt of court. Now there are traditionally two kinds of sentences or punishments that go with contempt of court. One of them is simply to punish. Okay, 10 days in jail, $200 fine. Boom, you do your time, you've been punished, out you go, it's over. The other kind is what's called more of a civil contempt. And this that's what this is. Because I'm sure what Judge Bunning was thinking is, she'll do her time, she'll pay her fine, she'll go right back to work, and we've not solved anything. And therefore, what she did, the first kind is called a criminal contempt sanction, it's punishment. What he did is called a civil contempt sanction. And it says the purpose is to compel. And the the mantra that goes with that sanction is the person in jail has the keys to the jailhouse in her pocket. Mm -hmm. She can get out anytime she wants. All she has to do is comply. Mm -hmm. So that is what Judge Bunning attempted to do, is use the civil contempt sanction to say, you're in until you comply. It can be one hour from now and you'll be back out. Of course, what he's doing is shredding her conscience he wants to shred her conscience and break her. That's what it's about. Mm-hmm. So I think the, re- the political reality is he overplayed his hand because mm-hmm. the public uproar was so significant, mm-hmm. uh, he then backed away within five days and let her out. And so I think that's, that's the legal reality, mm-hmm. I think, of what happened. I think the other comment I would make about Judge Bunnings' quote is when he said it's dangerous uh, I wrote on my pad here, dangerous to who?
1: <laughs> I, mean, I mean,
2: I mean, if we start relying on natural law, law, it's dangerous to what Justice Scalia once said in one of his dissenting opinions. I think it was a, a case of uh, persecuting pro-life speech on a public sidewalk. He, he referred to the imperialist judiciary in this country. Mm-hmm. That's who it's dangerous mm-hmm. to, the imperialist judiciary. It's not dangerous to anybody else. So, if we were to take a look at what King Kennedy has to say, <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, the, I mean uh, you can't make this stuff up. You're, you can't you really make can't. that one up. Um, so, in 1992, Kennedy um, makes this this statement that, uh, is, I don't know, if if it was mind boggling what uh, Bunning had to say, it is um, psychedelic. I don't know what else to call what what I'm about to read here about uh, what Kennedy had to say in uh, Planned Parenthood. Uh, Versus Casey in 1992 was a case that uh, many uh, pro life uh, activists thought was uh, potentially going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Everybody on both sides thought it. Uh, Unfortunately, it did not. And um, this is the type of reasoning that uh, kept it from uh, being overturned. Kennedy says, and I quote, At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe and of the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters could not define the attributes of personhood or they formed under the compulsion of the state. It takes a moment just to even take that in. That, that,
0: is, that is truly mind-boggling. <laughs> you know, that, that, that qualifies Anthony Kennedy as, a, as an existentialist in philosophy, which I'd liken to insanity where you are totally out of touch with reality and you create your own reality. And you call that liberty. You, you mistake that for liberty, where you're totally out of touch with reality because you are the god of your own reality. You're creating that as the center of the universe of your own making. This is dangerous, right? Uh, and, and like like Bunning himself, you know, as you just quoted, saying that uh, the, the the idea that... In the natural law can supersede the authority of this court. I mean, that, that, in fighting Kim Davis guilty of contempt, he is guilty of contempt, absolute contempt for God, absolute contempt for the founders of our nations, and all the principles that go into the founding of our nation. He is showing what is, in my mind, an absolute criminal contempt to all of these. And he's basically saying, he is God. In that courtroom, he is God. And he can do anything he pleases. This quote from uh, Anthony Kennedy, I think, goes right along with that whole idea. And this is why we have a judiciary
1: that is completely out of control. But the idea of having a uh, a tyrannical judiciary and uh, a judiciary playing God actually goes right to what you were saying uh, just a few moments ago. And that not only are when they get the cases, it seems to me, they are making up laws as they see fit. But uh, earlier you were speaking about um, a case where the Supreme Court almost sucked up a case just so it could create some law. Can you give us a little background right? Right. On that? That's that's
2: that's U.S. versus Windsor, which was the attack on the federal Defense of Marriage Act. And you know, as someone who has oh, in my life, I probably filed I probably filed about ten petitions trying to get review for cases in the U.S. Supreme Court. Maybe maybe fewer than that, but. And I know many others who have, and I know with the important kind of cases that, that, that cry out for Supreme Court review, I mean, real meaty constitutional stuff. And they just, they, you know, they just deny them. I mean, they, they take what they want. They, there's no real standard anyone can discern. They, they only take 60, they get 10,000 petitions a year. They, they take 60 cases, you know? So they take what they want. Uh, and in fairness to them, I guess, there's so many cases decided so poorly in the lower court, they couldn't possibly take them all. It would have to have 50 justices just to take the caseload to correct all the bad law coming up from the lower courts. But having said that, the the point is they're very stingy, very stingy. I say it's like getting hit by lightning if you get your case taken by the U.S. Supreme Court. So this federal DOMA challenge by the homosexuals who um, wanted to strike down the federal uh, law-defining marriage and signed by Bill Clinton, you know, in the 90s, This is a case where they sue in the United States District Court. I believe it was in the uh, circuit, the D.C. Court, District of Columbia. Eric Holder and Barack Obama decide not to defend it. The federal judge declares DOMA unconstitutional. So the plaintiff has the relief she wants. Mm -hmm. She can get married or whatever the goal was in that particular case. Somehow, the case goes up to the Court of Appeals. I've not researched the case enough to know how it went up or who took the appeal to bring it up because, theoretically, at the trial level, both sides were already happy. The plaintiff got the relief she wanted. DOMA is unconstitutional. No, it goes to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals upholds it, and then somehow it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and the Supreme Court, with its stingy jurisprudence, takes the case even though both sides are already happy. Now, I did take the time to print out Justice Scalia's dissent on this. And if, if it's okay for me to take about two minutes, I'll read the opening part of his dissent.
0: If I can just clarify this in my own mind. You're saying that <clears throat> the case was handled in such a way, right, that the court's decision basically gave the plaintiff her way. Yes. And she appealed... Even though she got the answer she wanted, she, she appealed against the judgment that went her way. Or
2: it, It's not clear to me if she appealed it or if the U. technically the U.S. government lost. Maybe Eric Holder appealed it, which would be very strange. He's not defending it, but maybe he appealed it to take it up. I don't know how she could have appealed it. I didn't take enough time before... Today. But the
0: question is, she brought the case. She it was decided her way,
2: and then it was appealed... It was either appealed by her, who had won... Yeah. Or by Eric Holder for the United States who did, who had no interest in defending the law, right It was appealed by one of them.
0: So this, in, in, whichever way you look at it, there's something fishy going on.
2: yeah, it's easy to say the fix was in. Th- this was going to get to the High Court one way or another. Okay. And, and my suspicion is that that um, you know if, if you just have a judge in the District of Columbia saying, I think it's unconstitutional, you've got the relief you wanted. Um, but only in
0: the District of Columbia.
2: The, 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 it would not bind any other judge anywhere in the United States. And that's why, oh, okay. you know, therefore there could have been similar lawsuits filed everywhere. Eventually they go up to the, you know, eventually they go up. But in this case, apparently they w- weren't willing to wait for that. They, they decided, let's get this. Make Look, the parties couldn't decide. that. The judges in the higher courts had to lay down and let this happen. Because it's so irregular. For this to have especially to have gotten into the Supreme Court when there was no longer a controversy in the case, I mean one of the one of the constitutional principles for the judiciary is the federal judiciary is created to hear cases and controversies right they're not they're not they're not, they don't exist just to give legal opinions about the meaning of things, even though Justice Kennedy appears to like to talk about the meaning of life <laughs> They're there to decide actual cases where conflicting parties have different legal rights that are in in a battle. That's what the judiciary is for, to solve cases and controversies, Mm -hmm. not just to give legal opinions for the world. Mm -hmm. So let me just read briefly what Justice Scalia said in in dissent in this case. He said, The court is eager, hungry, to tell everyone its view of the legal question at the heart of the case. Standing in the way is an obstacle a technicality of little interest to anyone but the people of We the People, who created it as a barrier against judges' intrusions into their lives. They gave judges, in Article 3 of the Constitution, only the, quote, judicial power, a power to decide not abstract questions, but real, concrete cases and controversies. Yet the plaintiff and the government agree entirely on what should happen in this lawsuit. They agree that the court below got it right, and they agreed in the court below, which is the Court of Appeals, that the court below that got it right as well. What then are we doing here? The answer lies at the heart of the jurisdictional portion of today's opinion, where a single sentence lays bare the majority's vision of our role. The court says that we have the power to decide this case because if we did not, then our primary role in determining the constitutionality of a law, at least one that has has inflicted real injury on a plaintiff, would become only secondary to the president's. But wait, the reader wonders. Windsor won below and so cured her injury, and the president was glad to see it. True, says the majority. But judicial review must march on regardless, lest we undermine the clear dictate of the separation of powers principle, that when an act of Congress is alleged to conflict with the Constitution, it is emphatically the province and duty of the judicial department to say what the law is. He's quoting from the majority. Then Scalia goes on, that is jaw-dropping. It is an assertion of judicial supremacy over the people's representatives in Congress and the executive. It envisions a Supreme Court standing, or rather enthroned, at the apex of government, empowered to decide all constitutional questions, always and everywhere primary in its role. This image of the court would have been unrecognizable to those who wrote and ratified our national charter. So that's Scalia in his typically brilliant way, just taking apart Mm -hmm. The contra-constitutionalists that sit on the court and just usurp all power as they see fit. Mm-hmm. Nobody takes them apart better than Scalia. But that, that mm-hmm. laid it out. The case in controversy ended at the trial court level. Everyone was happy, and somehow the Supreme Court still decided the case.
0: Why were they so intent on getting that to the level of the Supreme Court, no, even if there was absolutely no pretext to do so? They sought to get it before the Supreme Court for be a reason. It had to be imposed on the whole country. That's it. That's the that reason. was their way of making sure. sure it was imposed on the whole
2: country. And Unless the Supreme Court decides it, some circuit court out in you know, the, mm-hmm. the 10th District Court of Appeals in Colorado or the 6th mm-hmm. Circuit in Cincinnati or the, the 7th Circuit in Chicago <clears throat> might come down the other way and say, no, Dome is constitutional. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to wait around and see the courts splitting or disagreeing on this. Hey, let's get it to the Supremes. Mm-hmm. It'll they'll put it to bed.
0: Now, now wasn't isn't it a fact, all right, that the the Supreme Court decided against uh, against the constitutionality of DOMA, the Defense of Marriage Act, correct, in Windsor, right, correct, and I understand that one of the grounds, if not the chief ground. Actually, the, the majority decision written by Anthony Kennedy, again, but the same judges lined up behind him, the later ratified, uh, uh, legislated, uh, oh, I guess you can't say that in the Supreme court, uh, homosexual marriage throughout the land, that they struck down the Defense of Marriage Act because it was an act of Congress, uh, the federal government, and the federal government has no constitutional power
2: over marriage in the United States of America. Wasn't that their ground at the time? They said something that's always been undisputed, and there's plenty of case law on it. Mm -hmm. The area of marriage and domestic relations has always and traditionally been the province of the state courts. And that is one of the reasons they struck down this federal law on marriage. That this is for the courts, it's not for the U.S. Government. There's a federal
0: law defining marriage as the union between one man and one woman. Okay. Yes, and they struck that down on those grounds, and then absolutely contradicted themselves three months ago in arrogating power, saying the federal court now will decide what marriage is for everyone.
2: Well, they, they said this has traditionally been an area for the state courts, and then three months ago in the Obergefell case, they say, well, guess what? <clears throat> we just found that right in the U.S. Constitution.
0: Oh, okay. That's what it was. Because there are rights that the founding fathers could not have imagined. Right. In their day, But we've discovered
2: them. And, and even though sodomy was a felony in mm-hmm. every state when the 14th Amendment was ratified, mm-hmm. the U.S. Supreme Court in the year 2015, which is what, about 160 years later, just found that it was a protected That's constitutional a right. right even though every state had criminalized it. Mm-hmm.
0: When the Fourteenth Amendment was ratified, yeah, yes, and it, yes. <laughs> by the and, same in the eighteen
2: in eighteen sixty eight or whatever that was, yeah.
0: This really is a tyranny, isn't
2: it? Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, um, you we or we have just some brilliant minds on the mm. Supreme Court that are able mm-hmm. to find things that no one else could ever mm-hmm.
0: see. Mm-hmm. The United States really is in bondage, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could write a write a book how uh, homosexual activists right have actually um, taken America hostage to the Supreme Court. I mean, essentially, that's, yeah, actually, that's I, what's happening. Right I can't probably. add to that. is mm-hmm. <laughs> in bondage to these people. Yeah. I mean,
1: uh, it's it's incredible. Well, when the court says that it has the right to tell us what the law is, I mean, what, what else does, is there for them to do other than just... By fiat, say this is what the law is today. But Jim, tomorrow, the Supreme is Court has actually gone beyond that.
0: The Supreme Court is going to tell you what human life is. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court is going to define reality for you. You know, it, I mean, even even here, where Justice Kennedy, uh, whom uh, who was it, uh, Roberts said was one of five judge, one of five lawyers who decided this for everybody in the world, everybody in America, anyway. Uh, when he when he tells you that um, liberty is to define reality and existence and all the rest, and uh, basically what he's doing there is letting his personal definition of reality and human life and so on dictate to everybody. Uh, That is the government defining exactly these issues, right? And that is exactly what he says would be to take away The idea of belief, that you can believe for yourself what these things are. He's actually, in in saying this thing, he's actually acknowledging that since the government, a.k.a. Kennedy, uh, Ginsburg, uh, Sotomayor, and uh, Kagan, and uh, let's see, who else was involved? uh, uh, Breyer. Breyer. That they have taken it upon themselves to define all of these things. I mean, this is worse than the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Uh, The Communist Party, to my knowledge, and no nation, uh, no Communist bloc nation, ever explicitly arrogated to itself the right to define what is human, who is human and who is not. They may have dehumanized their victims, but they didn't. Claim to be the philosophers, like the gurus on the top of the mountains, who are defining what humanity is. These people have gone far beyond what any communist dictator has ever dared to do. Who do they think they are? And The answer is, they think they're God. In their courtroom, they're God.
2: But the obvious question is: I mean, again, Justice Kennedy said, "At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own, one's own okay. concept of existence, of meaning." of the universe. Now, that's pretty sweeping. Now, well, how does he Rather respond? Sweeping. How does he respond to Kim Davis saying, well, I've just defined my meaning of the mm-hmm. universe, and that is that I don't issue game gay merit license. Mm-hmm. How does he respond to that? How can he respond well, to it?
0: <clears throat> he responds by, by basically acknowledging that if government were to uh, impose the notions of these things, right, that that would take away the individual liberty, then he turns around and imposes that very thing, his notion, his understanding of what these things are, and makes it law. Right,
2: And, and it really does impair her liberty, because she was in a jail cell. Mm-hmm. And that's a real impairment of liberty.
0: He's acknowledging here that in doing what they're doing, they're take, they've taken away that liberty from everybody in the, in the country. The only, the only difference is here, he's not acknowledging that that is what he's done. But the fact is, that's exactly what he has done. And the rest of this, this cadre, this cabal in the Supreme Court has done. Uh, whether he would ever acknowledge that or not. The, look, uh, who was it? Kagan? Was it Kagan who was already officiating at homosexual marriage? And Ginsburg. And Ginsburg, okay. Two of the five of this, this cabal of lawyers in the Supreme Court uh, had already committed themselves to this issue. They would not recuse themselves from this issue, right? That's right. And so, uh, I mean, what what do you have operating here, right? But a cadre Right a cadre of, uh, of of basically homosexual activists who've gotten the control over the gavel of the nation
2: and if I may pick up on the term hypocrisy again, you know in, in legal ethics um, the, the, the the rules of discipline and the way lawyers are supposed to conduct themselves, really one of the most important things uh, you know is the duty to um, it's stated maybe in different ways under different state rules but you know they want they want they want lawyers to act in a way that does not impair people's confidence in, in the judiciary mm-hmm. you know to to have people have respect for the ju- judiciary have confidence in the courts mm-hmm. and you have something as fundamental as a couple of justices already officiating at gay marriages mm-hmm. when the gay marriage decision is going in front of them mm-hmm. i mean how do these how do these legal ethics people the supreme courts uh, of the various states and of the U.S. Supreme Court who who manage legal ethics and who discipline lawyers How, how do they expect people to have confidence in the courts when they behave like that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I'm, you know, I mean I've been practicing 26 years I'm basically a solo attorney practice with a few others that and I, you know, I deal with a lot of guys on the street You know the man on the street. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty well in touch with them. I mean their cynical view of the judicial system, I mean, you, you wonder if mm-hmm. these judges and these ethics people are in an ivory tower, you know, mm-hmm. um, patting each other on the back for what a fine system they've crafted. They have no idea how cynical the man is on the street is. Mm-hmm. And I'm just not just talking about traditional Catholics, who we know that our values have been, you know, completely destroyed by, by the... Uh, by all three branches of government in a way. But and the Novus Church, yeah, yeah. Uh, the modern Catholic Church, is played right along. Yeah, uh, too often. And, uh, mm-hmm. but, but you know, how do they really expect people on the street to respect what they're doing when they're, they can be that blatantly, really compromised? You know, and the, the idea is not only, if there's an issue of bias, for example, you know, they say, we don't have to prove actual bias. You know, even if there's an appearance of bias, mm-hmm. if there's an appearance of impropriety, that's bad enough. That shouldn't happen. So surely, two of the nine justices and two of the five that swung this thing to a majority vote, officiating gay marriages while the decision is coming their way. I mean, how even can, even while it's under consideration, yeah, yeah. How, the court? Right? how can any of these judges and justices and disciplinary administrators that, that deal with legal ethics? How can they possibly believe that? This is doing anything but impairing the confidence of the people in the judiciary.
0: Can you imagine the human cry uh, at a Super Bowl game where it was clear that the referees were favoring one team, blatantly favoring one team, right? Every ruling went against uh, one like the home team or the the, uh, visiting team, right? Even to the point of just taking the fouls that were committed by the, the home team and assigning them to, the, the, the victim team, the, the, the visiting team. I mean, the human cry of the populace would be, would be deafening. And yet we have this happening at the Supreme, Supreme
2: Court level of the United States of America. But Father, uh, I don't I don't affecting think Affecting all of our lives. I don't think your hypo is strong enough. I mean, imagining <laughs> a couple of the officials... Mm -hmm. The the referees for the Super Bowl, before the game, they're over on one sideline wearing that team's jerseys, Mm -hmm. shaking their hands and high-fiving them and wishing them good luck. I'll go
0: you one better. (laughs) Let's say there's a fumble and the referee picks up the ball and runs it into the home team's... uh, Go! Yeah. Uh, uh,
2: yeah. Or just deflates a few balls. Yeah. <laughs> or just deflates a few balls. It. Uh, it is
0: absolutely yeah. ludicrous. Yeah. It is absurd. And how indignant. So, they... what, we're talking law, we're talking mm-hmm. courts here. Are there any legal remedies against this usurpation of power?
1: Well, that brings up an interesting question, doesn't it? Yeah, because cause, cause, cause the question froze yes. me. I, I don't really know the... Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: we talk about judicial immunity. Are they just immune yeah. from any control whatsoever? They're not going to be subject to God. It's a very little, natural law, so what is there?
1: As a little background just, uh, for anyone who's watching, we're talking about federal judges here, and federal judges are also appointed for life.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that means that... Um, and that was done by our founding fathers with the idea that you couldn't have politicians possibly uh, you know, uh, influencing judges. But um, mm. there still had to be some checks and balances on, the, on those judges, and yet we have this whole idea of judicial immunity, which is protecting judges to the point where you have people who are appointed for life who have an immunity from and
2: basically can almost do whatever they want. Right. Mm. Well, that, that's, you know. by the way, constitutionally, the Constitution doesn't say that they're appointed for life. What it says is they can only be removed for good cause, right. maybe something else. But, but that's just been interpreted as Removed accepted. by whom? Uh, I think the Senate can remove them. I think okay. they can be impeached. A simple majority, or uh, I don't know. If, uh, there's been some federal judges impeached mm-hmm. and removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it might be a majority vote of the Senate. A majority of the Senate, uh, but it's pretty rare to happen. I mean, it, it happens in cases that they got gotten taken bribes or you know doing things that are just clearly criminal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the judicial the the, the uh, doctrine and it is a doctrine of judicial immunity is a very interesting one. I. Had an early interest in it. I did a paper in law school on it, and I've litigated the issue a few times. You, you litigate that issue when you sue judges, okay? And you don't do that recklessly because you know they got them. You got you know you do it seriously. But people will be scandalized to learn what what the law of judicial immunity actually says. What it says, uh, and they it's, it's it's not legislative. This is this is a common law principle that they've derived from England. It's part of the common law. I think, quite frankly, it's been expanded a bit here and applied in some situations that are dubious. I'm just going to
1: pause you for one second, because yeah. some people might not understand what common law is. Common law is law that has been basically created by judges. Yes. So we have them basing their judicial immunity upon the law that was created by themselves. They've
2: created it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Th- that's true. And there's other common mm-hmm. law immunities that affect other government officials. But you're right. The common law is judge-made law. And judicial immunity, as it 's you know been adopted and enforced in the United States, state and federal courts I mean the doctrine knows no bound knows no jurisdictional boundaries. Mm. it says that judges have an absolute immunity from any civil liability for any act that they perform in their judicial capacity as long as they have subject matter jurisdiction over the case, and most judges know what their subject matter jurisdiction is. Uh, And as long as it's a judicial act, and to make the distinction, judges have been deprived of immunity, for example, if they wrongfully fired their secretary, or maybe sexually harass a secretary, those aren't judicial acts. And and even a firing would be an administrative act, not a judicial act. But the judicial act, things you do as a judge, not just in court, but even any decision you make, any, any order you issue, whatever, that's a judicial act. As long as you've got subject matter jurisdiction over the case, uh, you have absolute immunity from any civil liability. Now, you can still be prosecuted for crimes, but let me just put this in a real simple hypo. Um, Father, you and me are in a lawsuit. Okay? I've, I've, uh, I've run you down in a crosswalk. and You've got serious injuries, so you need to sue me for your medical bills and so forth. You, you come across a video of me uh, uh, s- taking the judge out to dinner and uh, uh, meeting with him alone back in chambers and buddying up with him, and he agrees with me that he's going he's to rule in my favor no matter what the evidence is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does just that. And you get the video, uh, and you want to sue him for corruptly deciding your case. Sorry. Absolute judicial immunity. Mm. even if even if he I was cor- even if he was corrupt and knowingly decided the case wrong mm. knowingly decided it wrong you have no remedy against him he's mm. immune you know why because the judges have decided it's public good public policy we don't mm. want judges being afraid of being sued just because someone's unhappy with the result of the case and therefore, even if they decide a case wrong and corruptly, corruptly they yes. still have absolute immunity. You have no remedy, Father. I win the case. That's judicial immunity in the United States of America. Now, I let, knew I should have become a judge. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> let tell, now, let me let me tell you the 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 case that uh, this is what this is shocking. The the, the kind of the case that really reestablished this in the federal courts was in 1978 it was a case called Stump versus Sparkman and the facts of the case were there was a mother who had a mentally retarded child and the child had grown up and she was 18 years old and she was she wasn't totally dysfunctional and the mother was worried about her becoming involved with boys and didn't want her to become pregnant and was worried about like wasn't controlling her that well They set up some scheme, and they go to a judge, and they get a judge to sign an order authorizing them to take this girl under false pretenses into the hospital or emergency room and have her sterilized. They told her there was some medical reason she was going in. They don't tell her she's being sterilized. They they Mm -hmm. sterilize her. The The young lady later learns she's been sterilized. She can't have children. They sue the judge, they sue various people involved in that process for conspiring to violate her rights um, and and permanently impairing her from having children. There was no lawsuit filed, there was no adversary proceeding. The poor young lady had no chance to defend herself, she couldn't get a lawyer. In fact, she was fooled by the whole thing. There was nothing resembling even a case or controversy, it was just... They went to the judge, and the judge performed the judicial act of signing an order. You, you, thou, sh- thou may now sterilize thy, thy, thy daughter. Mm-hmm. And they do it. And the U.S. Supreme Court held that that judge had absolute immunity from any civil liability because he performed a judicial act, and he has mm-hmm. immunity. It's just scandalous. Amazing, amazing. It's scandalous. So um, now there was actually, there was some dissents from that. Justice Stevens on the U.S. Supreme Court, who was a liberal, Mm-hmm. wrote a terrific dissent de- taking it apart and said this has nothing resembling a judicial proceeding mm-hmm. and there should be no immunity here. But a majority of the court gave immunity to that judge. Wow! It's sweeping. It's dangerous. They have no fear. They have no fear. Mm-hmm. That's what underlies a lot of this. They know they can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. It certainly looks that way. Yeah.
0: Well, when they say there's no natural law that binds them, uh, there's no authority... I mean, even God's authority uh, is not over them. They're not subject to even divine authority. I was just wondering what recourse we have. Do the people, by law, have authority over
2: this? Uh,
0: apparently not. Huh?
2: Well, I, I think everyone would say the solution's political. You know, mm-hmm. vote, vote, vote. I mean, imagine what an insurmountable task this is in mm-hmm. America in 2015. Vote people of such high moral character into office. That we will make sure we throw the bums out, you know, get only judges that recognize the natural law, and so I mean, so you're it's, a, it's a political yes, problem.
0: So vote for Trump. <laughs> um, throw the bums out, right? Well, I think you're highlighting a very important thing, and that is that we're really beyond a political solution to this. You know, as our lady said at Fatima, the, the solution has to be voting with your voting on your knees, voting with your hands, you know, folded. Every time you pray, you pray the rosary, you're, you're voting. It's the only vote that's really going to count. Okay. So, uh, you know, people should do what they can in the elections uh, to vote for good people of, of high moral standards who understand the principles and who really vote principles that are consonant with our Catholic principles. Uh, don't expect to find too many of those though even those who actually uphold conservative principles conservative things conservative causes may sound good but it it becomes obvious at times that they don't really have the right principles because every now and then i mean even the greatest conservative candidate will vote in a way that is, seems completely out of character and they explain why they voted this way and you realize they don't really hold the same principles you do and that's why you have this Strange vote that you you can't in any way explain according to our Catholic principles. Um, So the ultimate answer for us has to be what Our Lady told us at Fatima. uh, The problem we're facing here is not bad government. The problem we're facing is the sins of mankind. That we are being allowed to wallow in the consequences of our own filth. Moral filth. And the only solution is uh, that by the grace of God we are delivered from this. As Our Lady said, we stop sinning. We do make reparation for those who do continue to sin. We beg God's mercy and realize that only Almighty God can deliver us from this, this danger we're in. It's, not, it's even more than the danger. I mean, we are in the pit right now. Uh, there's only, only one way out. We're in the quicksand that we're getting sucked under. And the more we struggle, the more we get sucked under the level of the quicksand, and, and uh, we have to ask that God will throw us the rope and that we have the, the, the will, the, the, the moral courage to hold on to that rope and be pulled out of
1: this danger.
0: Otherwise, we can't escape it on our own. Right? I, I, I gather that's the bottom line here. Right?
1: And in tying that together, I mean, I guess it begs the question, how did we end up with such a huge moral dilemma? How did we end up in such a moral pit? Um, how do, do we get uh, Catholic judges who uh, write such things, make such rulings. I mean, the, the one uh, uh, newspaper article called Bunning a, a devout Catholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the the answer may lie in the information that they're getting from the Norvis Ordo bishops and cardinals and, mm-hmm. and even Pope. Um, uh, recently, uh, Cardinal Walter Kasper stated, a democratic state has the duty to respect the will of the people. And it seems clear that if the majority of the people wants such homosexual unions, the state has the duty to recognize such rights. Mm-hmm. So if that's the direction, if that's the rules, if that's the information that is being given to these Catholic mm-hmm. judges by the cardinals, how else do we expect well, that? Well,
0: actually, Jim, that's very good you mention that, because Walter Casper is not just any cardinal. He's the cardinal whom Francis appointed to uh, be the head the in charge of his uh, special synod on the family last year. Walter Casper, the same man who said that, he made that statement, by the way, commenting on the Irish Republic's uh, referendum approving homosexual marriage. Uh, What was it? Two-thirds of the voters in that referendum approved homosexual marriage in Ireland. And and these were all raised, the vast majority of these people were raised in Novus Ordo schools. This is what bishops there in Ireland were saying, well, there are students, we taught them, we trained them. And Cardinal Casper comes up, the man whom, whom Francis puts in charge of the Synod on the family, and says, well, uh, governments have the obligation to respect the will of the people. And if the will of the people is to have homosexual marriage, then the government has an obligation, and evidently not just a legal obligation, a moral obligation, to listen to the will of the people. He is completely discounting the idea of the will of God. It means nothing to him. He and, and, and David Bunning, they get along just fine. No argument between the two of them. They agree in principle. That the natural law, the very idea of a natural law having a a super, the authority of the natural law superseding the authority of the court, a dangerous precedent indeed. Uh, Again, you're, you're, you're right on the, on the mark there, that the leaders of this modernist church created, uh, uh, after Vatican II in the, in the image and likeness of the, all the enemies of the church, um this is exactly what is what is speaking through the through the mouth of a David Bunning right now, of an Anthony Kennedy, and of a Walter Casper.
2: But but there's gotta be one way that Walt the Cardinal Casper disagrees with Bunning and Kennedy, because Cardinal Casper should have come out condemning the Supreme Court decisions because all of the people state by state by state, oh. state in the United States of America voted for. True
0: marriage. For, for true marriage. So
2: so Casper should have condemned the Supreme Court decision, but I've not read that yet.
0: Well, maybe, maybe uh, you ought to write him and suggest that. But I'll tell you one thing, though. Um, good luck. Because they have their agenda. Uh-huh. They know what they're after, and they're going to get it by hook or by crook. Um, and so, uh, well, I mean, you know, that's interesting you pointed out. You saw the way Walter Casper handled the affairs of that Senate on the family, right? Right. You saw the way he handled that. And, I mean, it looks as though there was chicanery going on behind the scenes, even to publish the draft, right? Right. That should not have been made public. Uh, I mean, it's hard to imagine that Walter Casper was totally innocent of this. They're pushing this forward in a certain way. And you see, oh, heaven forbid we should use the word hypocrisy or conspiracy. But when you see all of these different individuals pushing things all in the same direction at once, then you begin to think there's something going on here um, that we're not supposed to figure out. And it's not good. It's not, it's not, uh, it certainly is not. Anything that would bring us to God, it's, it's what would ever take us away from God. Uh, and God's law, anything holy, is under attack now. Even in the Vatican, or perhaps I should say especially in the Vatican. Um, so, in any case, I mean, here we just had Francis come, right? He speaks before the United Nations. He speaks before our United States Congress, right? He never mentions Jesus Christ. Never mention Jesus Christ on the world stage. Never. The explanation for that is that he wants his message to be accepted and acceptable to all, regardless of their belief. That explanation itself is damning. What is his message that prevents him from mentioning the name of Jesus Christ? What message does he have for the world if it's not precisely that? This is this is awful. Um, and I, I think anybody who has any faith left at all would have to look at that and say, well, if his message, or the desire to get his message across to mankind, precludes his mentioning Jesus Christ, then his message is not the gospel. His message is from hell, not from heaven.
2: Yeah, and I I'm, I'm slow to, to cross the line into even amateur theologian and this really isn't even a theological comment in light of what's happened in this country in the last five months between the Planned Parenthood videos and the selling of body parts and then gay marriage being imposed by the Supreme Court just so recently and the, the, the opportunity that was there I mean, I mean how this cried out for him to come in and just really level the opposition and energize true Catholics, mm-hmm. you know um, uh, How do you drop such an opportunity?
0: And, and say with St. Paul, there is no other name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ And he would not say that. He's, he's condemned Isis, right? But Planned Parenthood makes Isis look like the little rascals. <laughs> I mean, you think about the millions, the, 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 the hundreds of thousands, anyway, killed by by Planned Parenthood. ISIS is—they're amateurs compared to Planned Parenthood. And you're right; the opportunity he had to stand there for was right, stand for it faith. And, it's it's morally, it, it, it's it's in terms of the faith, criminal that he did not tell mankind that its true savior is Jesus Christ.
2: And I'm sure most of the viewers know this, but aside from not saying the name of our Lord. You know, he never uttered the word abortion. He never uttered uttered the word homosexuality. Mm-hmm. He talked in the broad terms of protecting life and of protecting marriage, but he really didn't even have the courage to mm-hmm. throw the hot button terms out there that really are the divisive terms. Mm-hmm. So he didn't he didn't mention our Lord, he didn't mention abortion, he didn't mention gay rights, but he mentioned climate change and the death penalty. And that is
0: why the world loves him. <laughs>
2: Well, it's because he's allowing them to create their own reality.
1: Yeah,
0: the, right, <laughs> right.
1: He's I mean, allowing
0: them to create their own reality. They're, it, it they're defining their, their, their own, own existence. Right.
1: I mean, the, you thing. have uh, Kennedy saying that, but Kennedy's <clears throat> just a Catholic who's following what, what the Pope is, is allowing everyone to <clears throat> do. What the uh, Cardinal is saying, I mean, what's, what's really frightening about what the, the Cardinal is saying is that if the people want to create rights, whatever rights those are, <clears throat> that they can go ahead and, and do so and impose them upon everybody else. Isn't that what Hitler did in Nazi Germany? I mean, you know what? So if the people, if the majority votes for it, it's okay then. It's not okay if maybe one person gets up there and forces everybody else to do it. But if, but if the majority wants to do that, then, well, you know what? That's their reality. And that's okay. And, you know, that, that's...
0: And according to the modernists, that's the voice of God. Today, in our world, the majority defines the very notion of God the real, true notion of God, as God evolves with the people. Um, This is what we're dealing with right now. And you can see why Our Lady makes it very clear. Uh, There is no human power that is going to uh, rectify this and uh, bring our nation or our world back to God, going to save us. Uh, But it's going to have to be divine power. God is going to have to intervene, and that is going to be an answer to prayer and repentance. So the ultimate, the ultimate answer has to be: we have to begin to pray, especially pray the Rosary, and we have to stop sinning. You know, we have, we have people who are looking at these these uh, perversions going on, these these moral sexual perversions going on, and yet they themselves are indulging in sins of immorality. They're contributing to this whole thing. I mean, the people who may be very conservative and they're saying, well, this idea of homosexual marriage is terrible, they're destroying the very concept of marriage. And yet, what did they do when they were divorced? Right? They would never part with their divorce laws. But they will say, the homosexuals now are perverting the nature of marriage. The perversion of marriage began long, long ago with the divorce laws in this country. With contraception, that they're celebrating, heterosexual couples celebrating, right? The perversion of marriage as the life-giving institution created by God has been under attack for all of these years, for centuries now. And they've all played a part in this, in setting the stage for what we're witnessing now. The only solution is conversion, repentance, and prayer.
1: And with uh, those uh, very practical words, I thank you for being here tonight, Father. Uh, Tom, uh, we thank you for joining us again. Thank you. As usual, it was a uh, very enlightening evening. We thank you for watching What Catholics Believe, and we remind you, uh, as Father did so eloquently, of our words uh, of Our Lady at Fatima, pray and make sacrifice. Thank you.